Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that God will meet you in this time with a fresh revelation of His love for you and that you will be challenged to align with the amazing plans that God has waiting for you. Here's this week's message from Pastor Claude. So when you look at the church, for example, in chapter 12 and chapter 14, we see the manifestation of the Spirit in the Corinthian church. We see the gift of the Spirit we see the work of God in a supernatural way. It says in chapter 14 to aspire the spiritual gift, especially the one of prophecy that is called to exhort, comfort, and encourage. And, and, and we see the work of God uh, or the work of the Holy Spirit in the Corinthian church. And it's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm looking forward to touch uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 13, the chapter of love. It really talks of how to operate, operate in the gifts. But then you, you hit... Chapter 5, and I will be talking on chapter 5 this morning. And the focus of chapter 5 is morality, how we're called to walk a life that honors God. As much as that I want to walk in the, in the manifestation of the Spirit, as much as I want to see the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life, where God can use me to minister to other people in a life-giving way, I want that, I desire that in my life. And I think that we all desire to see God move in us and through us in a supernatural way where when we do life, we don't do it out of the flesh, but being led by the Spirit. At the same time, there's a need for us to see God make us and transform us in the inside. And so in chapter 5, there's a focus on morality of, of my life, that how I live my life matters. Can you say that to your neighbor, how I live my life matters? How I live my life matters. And sometimes what happens in the church is we look at the end result and we forget the process. You know, when it comes to the gift they're given, when it comes to character, it's a decision you have to make when it comes to surrendering your life to him. And in chapter 5, it addresses that. And especially if you look at verse 1 and verse 2, it starts with a bang. It says... It is actually reported that there, are, that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, his stepmom, and you are proud. Should you rather have been, uh, should you have, sure, I'll read, this, read it again. Should you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? So the story here, here is we, we see incest, and we see this guy that is um, sleeping with his stepmom, and Paul is totally grieved. Paul is broken inside, and, and he's broken for, for, the first, for the first reason why he's broken is because the church wasn't doing anything with it. It was just sliding by, it was just happening, and it was never addressed, it was never dealt with, and it was an ongoing situation and the people or the church or the leadership celebrated it, and they were proud of it. And Paul was shaking his head. How can you be proud of this? And we find no repentance. We find no desire to change. And that's what Paul is addressing. You have a similar situation that you find in 2 Corinthians, the same church, later on. Not in the same area when it comes to sexuality, but there's sin involved. And we find the person that was involved in that sin, repent. And it says in verse 7 and 8, Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him, so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love to him. 
So what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, we find that the purpose of discipline is restoration. And, and that the church was there to restore. And I believe that the heart of restoration is love. And to make restoration possible, there's need, there needs to be truth. Um, it's not only love, there needs to be th- truth. The heart of restoration is we love. And, and how do we restore is by establishing the truth in someone's life. So 2 Corinthians talks about loving, caring for the person that wants to experience change. And in 1 Corinthians, because there's no transformation, no desire to change, that person is asked to, to move on. And, and Paul reprimands them for their pride. And it's kind of, when you look at it at first time, you say, how can they be proud, right? When you look at the context, it's, it, it's not a good context. What were they proud of? They were proud of being accepting, being cultural relevant, inclusive, being looked as being progressive, and showing love. And, and Paul said to them, you should be filled with grief and sorrow. And, and, and so, so what you find here is the church wanted to be relevant to the world. And Paul gives this example, not even the pagan are accepting this. And so the thought is the church wanted to lower their standards so low that they could be appealing to the world. And and, and Paul is saying, that's not the way to go, guys. That's not the call of the church. The call of the church is to walk in the ways of God. And, And when we look at the society we live in today, we have the same same issues. When I was looking at this, I was saying things never change. They're still the same today. And the danger for the church, it's to lower the standards when it comes to biblical matters. I'm not talking here about rules and regulations here. I'm not talking about dress codes and all that. I'm talking about heart issues. Uh, and, and, and it's important for us to realize that as a church and as Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, what he's saying is that everybody should be under the authority of God's word that we shouldn't be on top of it and we should not pick and choose what we want to follow, but that we're called to be under that authority. And that's what he's referring to. He's saying to the church, you, you have to deal with this. You can't not let that go because you are the church. You're the bride of Christ. You, you are preparing yourself for that wedding day. And, and we know how it is, right? When it comes to wedding, uh, there's, there's the need for purity. There's a need for... Um, uh, focus like you cannot have if you if you if you want to be happily married you got to be focused on one person right and, and, and so here you you, you see uh, in this context that Paul says wow your pride is not good you shouldn't be proud of this and and what you should do is you should mourn and you should weep it should affect you it should break you that there's sins sins in the house it it, it, it should bother you like, you, you should not be indifferent, and you, cannot, and you shouldn't be proud of it, because that's not really, um, that's not what it should be. And, and, and I've noticed in my journey, all denominations or church groups that lowers their standard and compromise with sin, they never grow. They never move forward. I believe what God does, he removes the candlesticks from the church. And we don't want to see that happen. And so it's important for us to realize that as much as we want to see God work in our lives and we want to see the manifestation of the Spirit in our lives, as much as morality is important, 
And so we want to be a church and we want to be Christians that understands the fear of the Lord. That, that we are called to follow biblical principles. And these biblical principles are really to, there to save and free us from the consequence of sin, which is death. But you look at Proverbs 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When you acknowledge who God is, you acknowledge that God is true, that God is alive, it causes you to live a life influenced by that. But if you don't believe that God exists, and you don't believe that God is real, then you do whatever you want, right? And for us as Christians, we understand that God is true. We understand one day there's going to be judgment. We, we understand one day that we will see him face to face. And the fact that he exists should influence us on how we live our lives. And then in, at the end of verse 9, verse 10, it says, um, and knowledge of the one, uh, the, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So when you acknowledge the Holy One that is God, then you know how to live. Then you know, okay, how do I live? I live according to God's ways, principle of God's ways. And, and I find freedom in that. And actually, when you look at the ordinance that God gives us or the principle that we find in Scripture, it's not to box us up, but it, it's actually to, to free us and so that we might live, like it says in John chapter 10, verse 10, like the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you might have life to, to the fully. But that's not when it comes to living the life fully. doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. I believe there's freedom in the ways of the Lord, right? I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since you're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses... Meaning that all history is looking at you and say, we understand, we've been where you are, and they cheer us on. It says here, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Like sin easily entangles us. And so when sin has a tendency of easily entangle us, our first reaction is find reasons to justify it. And it's very important for us to realize that if I want to run my race and I, I, want, to, um, I want to be fruitful in what God has called me, I've got to experience freedom, right? I've got to experience, I've got to experience freedom from my life, in my life. And that's not going to happen by pretending there's no sin or pretending everything is okay. One of the biggest things that we deal with in the Western world is that we, 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 we focus more on the I than, and then, than the us, right? And, and, and we live in a world today where one of the most important values is autonomy, right? Autonomy. It's I versus us. It's like, uh, I'll do whatever I want. Let me be. And you can do whatever you want. I'll let you be. And we live in this, 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 uh, this culture that, that is like that, and that sometimes comes in the church, where you live your own life, don't tell me what to do, don't judge me, and, and, and then you say, okay, if they won't, not, they won't talk about what's wrong with my life, nobody's going to talk to me and try to, uh, to, to uh, encourage me or try to be there uh, uh, with me as I'm walking through life, then I'll do the same with the other person. I won't say anything. I'm going to let the person do whatever they want. And, and so we live in this world of autonomy, and, and because of that, we focus more on I than us. And the reason we have a church 
And the reason why Jesus' idea of having a church is that we would walk together, that we would have other people in our lives. And God hasn't called you to be a lone ranger. God hasn't called me to do things on my own. And so when I do things on my own, then I can do whatever I want to some degree. I don't have anybody walking with me. Not saying that we're called to be um, watchdogs of the church, but we're called to walk in love and truth, and, and we're called to minister to one another. And that was the problem with the Corinthian church. Someone, some were following Apollos, other Peter, other um, uh, Apoll, Apoll, like Jesus, and uh, because people had some had uh, a clear revelation, they say of Jesus, and they were all broken in pieces, or they were all separated, and they were not walking in, in unity. So when I look at walking a walk of freedom. I really believe it happens in community. I really believe it happens when we do life together where people have a, a voice uh, in my life and, and I have a voice in their lives. And, and so when you look at this church, they're calling us to do life together, right? And, and like in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, it says, do not, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use to judging to judging is a standard by which you will be judged. So we look at this verse and say, oh, we're not called to judge. No, we're not called to judge in the way of looking down. But we're called to do what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, brothers, if someone is, is caught in sin, you who are spiritual or mature should restore him gently. Restore. So if there's no, if there's no judgment in the house, then what's the point of restoring? The reason why there's restoration is because there's an issue, right? And how are you called to deal with the issue? Gently. And it says here by watching yourself or, or you also may be tempted, meaning that you got to watch over your life, that you, you don't want to be this person that removes, uh, that you have a tree in your own eye and you, and you want to remove the speck in someone else's uh, eye, meaning that you got to look at your own life and, and realize that God wants to change you and transform you and you're aware of who, who you are. But at the same time, what Paul is saying here is that we can't close our eyes to sin. We can't close our eyes to sin. And it's important for us to acknowledge what sin is. And as much as, like, like, like it says in the, in the Psalms, uh, run away from sin. We don't want to embrace sin and, and, and be permissive when it comes to what God says in regard of sin. And, and so God gives these examples in chapter 6 about sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, look what it says. Don't you realize that those who are wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what Paul is saying here is that you were saved, you were redeemed, you were sanctified by the blood of the Lamb, by the work of the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't live like this anymore. 
saying, you shouldn't live like this anymore. And the, the thought also is, what's controlling my life? Like, I want to make sure you understand that you don't want to walk in condemnation all the time. I know it was like that when I grew up as a teenager. It's, it's like... It's like there's an angel in heaven that is full-time just in my behalf, writes my name in the book of life, Claude, he's a good boy today. And then before I go to bed, I've got God, I got this angel erasing my name because I'm not a good boy. And so, so the next day, he writes my name, and the next day, he removes my name. And sometimes when it comes to kids that are raised in, that are raised in the church, they, they have this false fear of God where they think that God is not merciful God is merciful. We'll talk about that in a moment. You, you don't want to live like guilt and always fear of not going to heaven. And, and so that's a dangerous trap. You got to specify that. Because sometimes our kids, I remember talking my, with my kids when they were a little older. And that's one of the things how they process the information, thinking that they might go to hell the next morning. And, and, and you know, because of, of, of their mistakes and so on. So it's important to clarify that it's a story of grace, that we're saved by grace. When, when Paul addresses chapter 6, he's talking about people that know the truth and they're still walking in it and they've hardened their heart. And he says, it's not supposed to be like that, okay? So there's a difference between the two. And so, so, so Paul is saying here, don't close your eyes to sin. We, we shouldn't continue to live in sin. We shouldn't say, ah, oh, it's okay. Uh, no, there, there needs, there, there's a need for us to respond to this invitation of experience Jesus that is uh, the, uh, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So why is, it important, why is it important for us to deal with our sin? In verse 6, it says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast. And, that, and as you really are, meaning it's, this is who you are because of Jesus. Look at the next phrase that is pivotal in this, in, in this chapter, but pivotal in the letter where it says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. What he's saying to the church here, he says, Hey, guys, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Takes away the sin of the world. Why don't you go to him? Why don't you come and experience the forgiveness that Jesus has to offer? And, and, and so he focuses on the Lamb of God. We might look at chapter 5 and, and see Paul correcting the church, but he points the church to experience Jesus as the Lamb that, that, that washes their sins away. You know, we've created a culture where I should sh always show that I'm on top right? That everything is fine, every, everything is dandy. And if I show that there's issues in my heart or there's sin in my life, then I'm afraid that people will tag me, right? So I don't want to open up because if I open up, then I'm done. So that's sometimes the culture of the church. But what Paul is making very clear is that Jesus is the Passover lamb that takes away our sins. And that should be the focus, not our sins, as much as the lamb of God. So he's saying, people, go to him. Let him free you. Let him bring healing. Let him restore you. Because that's the heart of the gospel. That's the good news. 
that Jesus died on Calvary so that we can have eternal life, but not just as a security for eternity, but as an inner transformation in our lives where we are freed from the inside. Amen? And so we want to see this, right? And here he says, he, he gives us the, uh, the, uh, the key to live a life in freedom. Is, it's to live with sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. And I've shared about sincerity, what it, the root word of what, what it means. I like to use it because it has a French root. And it's sincere, without wax. In the old days, when... Um, when you wanted to, like when it came to glasses, to, to keep glasses, we break a glass, we just throw it. In the old days, what they would do is they would take wax and glue the pieces together. And you can imagine that if you would look through a glass that has multiple pieces, you would have multiple images. Eh? I don't know if you did that when you were a kid. It's to look through a glass, the bottom of a, the, of a glass, and look at your parents and you'll look at your dad, and he's got a big head. Or on the other side of the glass, he's got a tiny head. And then you put multiple glasses, and then you have few heads. It's kind of fun to do, right? Maybe you'll do that for lunch. I don't know. Um, but it's like when you have a broken, broken pieces, then it's all twisted. It's, it's not accurate, right? And so Sincere talks about, I think this is so huge, people. Sincerity is so important. Because it talks about honesty. It talks about genuineness, authenticity, transparency. I'm not talking about perfection, but being real. And that's what God wants. He says, be real. And as you're, you're real, you come to see Jesus. And Jesus is the Passover lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What a great picture. Then he says to walk in truth. So what is the truth? Foundational truth is God's word. So where you rely on his word and also you rely on God's character. And if you sum up God's character, his moral attributes, not, not, his, uh, like not his power attributes, but his moral attributes can be summed up with love and holiness. Not only holiness and not only love, is we are walking in the fear of the Lord, knowing that he's real, and we know that he loves us and he cares for us, and we are his focus, uh, that we are the apple of his eye. So it's important for us to realize that dealing with sin is a big deal. And, and so, so why do we want to deal with sin? Because sin has a ripple effect, and that's why you have kind of the ripple in the back, because I, I wanted Angie to add the, the ripples, because... My sin has a ripple effect. There's copying effect, meaning that it gives permission to others to do the same if I walk in sin. And it creates a culture. It really does create a culture. When sin is tolerated, when you embrace sin, and you say, I'm going to continue to live in my sin, it will affect people around you. It will affect the way you live your life. It's the same thing when it comes to a church where we close our eyes to sin, we say, oh, it's not a big deal, whatever. It, has, it, it gives permission to others in, in the way that, okay, so that's fine. So I guess whatever, like, it, that, what, so if that's fine with them, I guess that's fine with me. And, and then you, we justify our behavior because sin is not addressed. So there's, there's a ripple effect. But there's also a spiritual influence. I, I really believe that it opens the door to the enemy. 
When, when you walk in sin and you embrace sin and you say, hey, it is what it is, it affects, it affects the spiritual realm over your house. It affects the spiritual realm in your life over your own life and over the church and over where you are. Like to think that when I walk in sin, it only affects me. It really affects others. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Like, my personal sin doesn't only influence me. And you, 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 you know the expression, when bad apple spoils the barrel. But when a, a fruit starts to ripen, it releases a gas called ethanol. Then it causes all the other fruits that are connected with that fruit to ripen faster. And that's what Paul is saying here. Like a little bit of yeast will affect the whole dough. So Paul is saying, guys, you cannot just close your eyes to the sin because it's more than just that person that is affected. It's, it will affect other people. So you've got to be conscious of that when it comes to life. It's a big deal when it comes to the church, right? Like I said, it's amazing to see chapter 12 and chapter 14. But I want to see 12 and 14 where God is alive and active through the gifts. But there's a need for us to walk in godliness, it's a, it, it, it's, it's a big deal for God. It's a big deal for the church. It's a big deal for our testimony. My private, my private life influences, influences my outgoing life. It filters out. This is why I've got to live, Hebrew 12, 1. Uh, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Listen, what I'm saying to you, it's not a message of condemnation. It's to understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the thing is, you don't want to live in sin and, and tolerate sin. You want to see Jesus. You want to go to Jesus. You want to lead people to Jesus because Jesus is able to free us. And that's what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim we have no sin, we only, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. Look what it says. After, but if you confess or if we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to clean, cleanse us from wickedness. Pretty cool, right? And so we want to see that in our lives. So when you look at this chapter, Paul is asking that we live our lives or that they live their lives according to His ways. If you look at verse nine, it says, "I'm writing to you in my letter not to associate." with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral or greedy or uh, swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But he says this in verse 11, but now I'm writing to you, um, I'm, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, or idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a fraud. With such a man, do not even eat. Pretty strong words, eh? You got to look at what it means to associate. It talks about being mixed. It talks about being tied with. It talks about accepting and being okay with it. Where it doesn't bring anything in our heart. Or where it doesn't, it, it, where, 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 where we agree with and we say, oh, it's no big deal. And, 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 Paul, and Paul says, like when it comes to the world, what, what are we called to expect? We we can't put Christian values on the world because they don't know. But when it comes to the Christian, we should expect to see pe people live a life that honors Christ. Look what it says in verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? 
God will judge those outside. Then he says, expel the wicked man from among you. I think we're very good to judge the outside, right? Like blah, 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 blah on the outside. But we're called to look inside. And we're called to be accountable. And that was the focus of Paul. Be accountable. Don't close your eyes to sin. Realize that we're called to encourage one another to walk in the light. This is why this is huge. But at the same time, God wants us to be closer and, and, and yeah, we're called to live differently because the world is watching. And in John chapter 17, verse 15 says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, talking about his disciples, but that you protect them from the evil one. So we're, we have this mission to, watch, to reach the world. But at the same time, we've got to realize that how we live really matters. So I don't know where you are on this journey of life, but my prayer is that we would be we would be transparent, we would be genuine, um, that we would walk according to, to the truth, that the truth would really matter, and that we would be sincere. That we would be sincere, transparent, and real, and that we would choose to walk in the truth. And I believe there's power there. You know why? Because Jesus is the Passover lamb that takes away our sins. Beautiful, right? So we can experience freedom. But I believe one of the things that needs to happen, we need to see more we's than I. We need to see more we's than I. Amen. I would ask you to stand. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to experience freedom. Maybe you are caught in sin personal sin, relational sin, maybe how you do business, you know it's not right. You know, we're not here to throw rocks at each other. We're here to point each other to Jesus, that he is the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Father, we surrender our lives to you. If there's anything this morning you're called to surrender, I invite you to surrender it to the Lord. Say, God, I give you this. I give you that. Just to whisper in your heart to say, God, forgive my sins. Free me from the inside. Father, we, we don't want to be a church that compromises. We don't want to be a church that strays away from sincerity and truth. We want to be a church that walks in the truth, that stands for the truth, but that is also sincere where we want to change, where you have a word in our hearts, so we're open to our neighbor to speak truth and life to us, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would be tender to the voice of your spirit and that we would see the importance of living a godly life. Father, help us not to compromise for the sake of being accepted. Help us, Lord, to stand as a beacon in this world and to love this world and show this world that you do work and that in, in our lives you change everything. Lord, we, we believe in the power of the gospel. We believe in the power of Jesus, the Passover lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And we want to experience this, Lord, and we want it to be our focus. So Father, bless each person here, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.